right, good morning. Welcome to Camry Community Church. My name is John Laubacher. Uh, many may know me as your uh, former middle school pastor here. Um, maybe some, maybe you know me as one of the guys that Kelly locks in the drum cage for 30 minutes a week to bang on things. Um, or maybe uh, the guy b- between services uh, chasing two little ones that are going way too fast. Um, I'm thankful to have this opportunity to uh, just share this morning's passage with you and just a little bit about how it spoke to me. Um, so thank you for joining us this morning as we're going to continue our journey through Mark. Today we're going to talk a little bit about um, ascribing value, uh, this idea of assigning worth, a relative priority, if you will, to a thing, a, a person, a relationship, etc. Ascribing value, it's something we do every day. Sure, stockbrokers and financial analysts, real estate investors, obviously, but I'm talking about the rest of us. We ascribe value to things every single day. It's as natural as breathing. Many of us get like a, a paycheck every two weeks, and a natural prioritization exercise follows as to how we, we are going to, determining how those said funds become allocated. Um, what, are, what are the things they're worth spending my paycheck on? How do I parcel out the respective parts of my budget? Maybe somebody who took the financial peace class in the fall can help us out on that. But uh, I actually, I, I once had an, an economics professor who, uh, who had the whole class stumped. He asked us, uh, who, which of you would rather have a Ferrari and which would rather have a hamburger? And everybody raised their hand in favor of the Ferrari, though none of us had spent a single dollar on a Ferrari, whereas we'd all bought a hamburger in the last week. Um, I don't really understand what he was trying to get at there, some kind of marginalized benefit, normalized the cost, but ask him, I don't know. Um, But my favorite example of ascribing value is something my wife may never fully understand. It's this idea that for my favorite day of the year, right? Eight hours, I lock myself in a room with my friends. And we start naming people and then bidding how much we pay for them. That's right, a fancy baseball auction. You're right, okay. the idea that we, you know, do some research, ascribe to ascribe a value of what a player might contribute in the in the coming year, and then purchase them with fake money. Um, so, so the question, yeah, what do we spend our, our precious resources on? What are the things we spend our time on? I I once knew a pastor around these parts. He went to Florida State, um, and. Uh, he always said you can tell where a man's treasure is by looking at his calendar and his checkbook. And, and, and students, a check is like Venmo, except uh, it's on paper and a lot slower, right? Um, but uh, you can tell that somebody values something by how, much, how, they, how they allocate their time on it. You can tell that somebody you know, prioritizes fitness if they prioritize their time in the gym. Or maybe they appreciate good food if, you, um, if they... Spend time practicing or, or spend more time preparing a meal. I try to show my own kids that I value them by having rug time every night. And uh, that way I sit with them and I do their activities and I move at their pace. But what about all this? All this here? This, this being here? We're all here this morning for some reason. We must ascribe some value to this whole thing in order to come every Sunday for two, three, four hours. Maybe a lot of us a couple nights a week as well. You know, genuine followers of Jesus are called to follow him every day. Those in the first century were called to literally drop everything to follow him. But why? 
Why? I guess similar to fantasy baseball, where I've calculated what contributions a given player is likely to give me on my quest to repeat as champion. I suppose many of us have seen all that Christ has done in our lives, is currently doing, and will do in the future. And don't get me crossed up on that. It, it, it has nothing to do with me at all, or us at all. But clearly we have, by his grace alone, opened our eyes to even a glimpse of who he is and how great his love is for us. We see his work on the cross and fall way short of ever truly and fully comprehending it. But we feel this need to respond. And anything at all that we might do with our time, with our money, with our talents, with our energy, with all that is left within us while we're here on this earth, anything that we do is in response alone to the fact that he loved us first. And all that he's done for us, particularly his work on the cross. But would you join me in prayer as we uh, invite the Lord to teach us this morning? Father God, I, uh, I thank you for bringing everybody here. I believe that everybody's here for a reason. And I believe, Lord, that you have something to say to each heart here. I pray that you draw each and every person closer to yourself this morning. And I pray that you would um, just speak clearly, Father. We love you in your name. Amen. All right. So um, we're going to dive into the Word. Feel free to get out your Bibles if you brought one with you, or it's going to be up on the screens. But we have a little bit of a good news, bad news situation here. Okay, we are beginning today, chapter 14 in the 16-chapter book of Mark. But before you get too excited about that, it's also the longest chapter in Mark's gospel as well. So to set the stage, in chapter 14, we'll see Jesus not so much the main actor as the one being acted upon. We'll see him not so much the deliverer as the one being delivered into the hands of men. For in this chapter alone, spoiler alert, we will see Mary anointing him, Judas betraying him, the religious leaders arresting him, and finally Peter denying him. Today's story is also captured in two other Gospels. You'll see it in Matthew chapter 26, and you'll also see it in John chapter 12. And it, it's important and kind of fun to look at the different aspects of these things because they're different people, right? And they are <clears throat> they're writing from slightly different perspectives, they're writing to different audiences and therefore with slightly different purposes in mind. Sometimes uh, in the book of John, you'll get a little bit of tongue-in-cheek commentary as well, which is always kind of fun. So um, here we go. We're going to look at Mark chapter 14, starting at the beginning in verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So a little context setting for everyone, the reference to the Passover uh, feast renders a sense of urgency to what Jesus' opponents are planning on doing here. But there's, but, so there's a sense of urgency, but they decide that they're going to postpone their plans to, to nab him, I guess, um, because Jesus is too popular. That is, until verses 10 and 11 come along, and they get an unexpected surprise. All that to say... It's in the midst of quite an ominous tone that we find the bulk of our story today, starting in verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. 
Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Wow. From really beautiful to really dark, really quick. But let me take you back to verse 9 real fast. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You see, we live in an age where Every new highlight reel dunk or fourth quarter comeback is in play to be called epic or legendary or an all-time great. So much so that those terms the 